In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. Might solve a mystery or rewrite history. This is the story we needed to write as we kept out of sight for no I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. For 37 years, the Walt Disney Company has bestowed one of its highest honors, the Disney Legend Award, to 304 contributors to the corporation over its 100-year history, ranging from animators and imagineers to singers and executives. In his new book, author Jamie Hecker highlights many of these notable names. It's the first volume of Disney Legends Makers of Magic, and I'm glad to bring Jamie on today to discuss his understandings of this elite class of individuals. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Brett, for having me. This is exciting, and I welcome the opportunity to talk about Disney and Disney Legends and the, the compilation of my book. Wonderful. Well, I, I hope maybe first you can acquaint listeners with your past Disney research, which has included writing about Disney's connections in Washington, D.C. Uh, via your first book, as well as writing for the Celebrations magazine for the past 15 years. Uh, tell us I, about your foundation here. Yeah, I, I think every Disney, every everyone who goes to Disney has an entry point in their Disney fandom. And, you know, where that is different for everyone. For me, it was the uh, late 70s. Uh, Sunday night television, the wide world, wonderful world of babies of, of Disney. And they would have uh, the, the, the opening montage has some sequences which featured uh, the elephants in the uh, Jungle Cruise, the monorail gliding through the contemporary resort and the uh, the lava, the original lava pool at the Polynesian Resort. These are like just five second snippets, but to a inquisitive yeah, eight or nine year old boy at the time, that was magic. It's like, what is this place? This is amazing. So I'm fortunate to say that my Disney entry uh, was late 70s. Um, I, we did our first family trip and got hooked. Of course, you know, movies are part of the mainstay. I know there was the, the 70s was not the best decade for animation, uh, but there were some some silly live action stuff like Gus 
the kicking donkey and uh what else did i watch apple dumpling gang i was just thinking about that the other day but it stayed with me um and in high school our marching band went to the orange bowl parade in miami we did a day trip to the magic kingdom and that was the first year uh, uh, first uh, quarter that epcot had been opened epcot center i should say so here it is i got the one two punches of being in the magic kingdom again we, we, i think we've been there on a time or two before seeing backstage of magic kingdom i know everyone people always say don't know what ruins the magic no it just piqued my curiosity further and uh epcot center we we were there for one day this is sort of weird because it was pre-horizons and pre-living uh, seas, I believe. Uh, Baraka was not there. So I, I saw like the very early version. And that just, you know, it, it just compounded my interest and curiosity. So pre-internet days, you can't exactly keep up with everything Disney related. So um, early 2000s, we're married. My wife and I, we have our two young kids. We plan a trip to Disney World. And there it really sinks in. Like, I want to know how this place is run, how they put it together, who did the work, because this was decades ahead of its time. And so that is that led my my curiosity to learn more, you know, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, uh, the men and women of Imagineering, your WED Industries as it used to be, now WDI. And I'm not a natural writer, but I am a researcher. I, I do have a, a bachelor's in, in U.S. history, so I kind of know how to navigate a, a, a library and an archive as needed. So going back to 2007, after multiple trips, um, one of the other podcasts I listened to was pitching a new print magazine for Disney fans called Celebrations. And they said, we, we're looking for writers. I'm like, well... I'll, I'll take a flyer on this. So I emailed him because we just gotten off a Disney cruise trip. Oh, wow. I said, I said how about we? I write about the Disney cruise line? And uh, they they kind of reply back, that's great. What angle do you want to take? Because you can't. I threw out just an entire subject. Uh, I said, how about dining on the high seas? And they, they liked that. So I did my first article for them in issue six. I was back in 2007 or so. Or maybe early two thousand eight. So it's I've been writing for the magazine celebrations uh, since then. Uh, I've done a number of uh, individual articles about the utilidors. Um, a few few off the top of my head, but I, I, I developed two separate columns. One is about hidden Disney. I was trying to find all the Disney related Easter eggs in the parks. Mm. Um, for example, on in Liberty Square. On the the, the Yo Christmas shop, there's a sign on the outside that says Keppel, K O E P P E L. Uh, that's a reference to Walt's um, great grandparents that came from Ireland. Mm -hmm. So those are little nuggets that are kind of all over the parks. That column, uh, I, I ended up passing that off to somebody else because I was also doing a second column that the publisher and I. Um, we talked about and he loved it. I said, I'd like to write about the Dis the men and women who are named Disney legends. And he goes, perfect. Uh, so the, as you mentioned earlier, there's 304 uh, men and women uh, to choose from. So it, it, each month it's, or each issue becomes, okay, who do I write about now? 
one sidebar is that I copied and pasted the entire list off of the D23 website, uh, pasted it into an Excel, did a column count, and it came up with 303. Like, okay, something's wrong here. Where did I, where did I miss? Turns out that uh, there was a husband-wife team, whose name eludes me, that is responsible for the True Life Adventures films. They were the first two in the field uh, doing for, doing uh, filming for uh, what became Seal Island. So they are credited as 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 a combo, but they each are named each are a legend. So anyway, hmm. I first my first column was in 2012, and here we are, 12 years later. I'm still writing this. Uh, so each one has to be prepared for a magazine layout which means i i have a a word count to adhere to which makes it challenging because every time i research i think oh i'm i'm gonna get some nuggets but i i probably really can't tell the whole story and then it's amazing how much stuff i have to trim out or not include because i really want to to sell the person i want i want the readers to know who who he or she is and to really get the flavor of the person is either direct quotes, speeches, articles that that individual has written, what others have said about them, um, anecdotes, you know, the stuff that you don't really read day to day. Like, I don't think I've, I've published about Bob Gurr yet. Well, I talked to him about in my other book, but he's got a great story about how then Vice President Richard Nixon was a guest at Disneyland with the opening of the of the monorail. Right. And so they're on the platform, Bob Gurr, Walt, I think his two daughters, Richard Nixon and his Secret Service entourage. And it's a hot day. They know that the AC's running on the uh, uh on the on the monorail. So they said, let's just step inside, get out of the shade or get out of the heat. And uh Bob tells the story. He goes, um Walt says to me, let's take her for a spin. And uh, Bob says, well, Walt is not my boss. The Secret Service aren't, so I'm going to listen to Walt. So uh, the, he, he tells it much better than I can tell it. You know, the 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 uh, monorail pulls out of the station and the agents are running down the platform. You know, of course, it just it does a single loop and they're back in the station. But those little stories that aren't really widely shared or known, those are what I try to dig up. And when I write about legends, um, the first one I wrote about is is one of the unsung heroes of the company. And there may be, um, I'm not sure where I fall on the pronunciation of the name. And I'm talking about Oob Iwerks. Mm-hmm. It's either Ub or Oob. I, I'm not sure. He originally spelled it U-B-B-E, shortened it to U-B. So uh, it's a Dutch name. Uh, he... Uh, for those who know the 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 early years of the Disney history, even pre-Disney with the Laughogram Studios, he and Walt were were peers uh, about the same age, and really was uh, up was really critical in in recovering from the loss of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit with the development of of Mickey Mouse. Up hand drew the first three all by hand. Um, he uh, Later left the company, did his own studio, uh, returned to the Disney, well, then known as Walt Disney Productions, 
uh, less as an animator and more as an optical optical special effects wizard. He developed Circarama uh, cameras. Uh, he did the traveling mat process, the, the classic scene from Mary Poppins of, of Bert dancing with the penguins. And for 1964, that was a very sophisticated uh, scene because Bert is actually lifting his legs. And, and you can see the penguins dancing too. Not only are they dancing left and right, they're dancing in the foreground and in the background. And so Oob was the guy who created uh, this this whole process. Same with uh, a little bit earlier with Saludos Amigos when, or, or uh, yeah, Saludos Amigos where, where Donald Duck is, is dancing with some of the uh, the ladies of, of uh, Brazil, was it? Or Mexico, I'm not sure. But um, writing about Oob, was my first one and that really really inspired me I was like yeah this is a, a a column slash activity i can sink my teeth into so i've been writing about legends since then some of them i've rolled up into uh compilations like i did one on various pixar related uh, individuals um that makes sense from a um a layout perspective but the problem is I kind of had to shortchange how much I could say about each person. So right. I think going forward, I'm going to steer or stay away from that. I'm going to honor individuals. Uh, the exception, I think I did Mark and Alice Davis because they're uh, well-known. Mark made this the smooth transition from animation to, to, uh, to Imagineering. Mark, uh, the joke is he's a ladies' man because he did Cinderella, Cruella de Vil, uh, Tinkerbell. Um, Maleficent, and, too. Yeah. Y yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and Alice was the de costume designer on both uh, Small World and then Pirates. Uh, but yeah, you know, the story of how those two met. Um, um, she was hired to be a live action model uh, to showcase to animators what a person would look like twirling with a full dress on as they're preparing for or Cinderella, I believe. And um, she was the model. She and Mark struck up a, a relationship and the rest is history, as, as the saying goes. Oh. So they are... Okay, let me back up a bit. I realize I'm getting ahead. So what I have done, since I've been writing this column for 12 years now, I look back this past... You know, the middle of last year, I looked back here. I've got a wealth of material um, and I talked to um, Tim Foster, the publisher of the magazine, and says, what if we rolled up, not all of it, but some of the, the original ones into a book? He goes, great idea. Um, so he was instrumental with the layout. Um, we have a running <laughs> Google Doc, so we know who we've covered and not and when. So uh, I kind of laid it out, not by publication date, but by by subject. So I've got one here, uh, uh, a chapter on the nine old men. Now, I have not written about all nine yet, but those that I've written about uh, made it made the cut there in this book. Um, Imagineers, um, I've got a, uh, oh yeah, here's another example. Uh, Donald Duck had a number of individuals yeah. who were responsible for him. Clarence Nash, we know him because of the voice but Al Talafiero uh, and others were helpful with the comics and the distribution of um, 
he was the first, I believe Donald was the very first uh, comic book character ahead of Mickey Mouse to appear in, in comics. Uh, voice artists. This was fun because yeah. uh, um, two of my favorites are, are Sterling Holloway, mm. the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Personal anecdote is that when our 26-year-old son was one, one and a half, uh, he had a real bad case of uh, an ear infection and could not sleep. So we had the video cassette back when those were a thing of uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And we would pop that in and that would just captivate him and make him forget about his ear infection. And so it became a hookworm for my wife and I. Um, you know, we, we sing the I'm just a little black rain cloud song all the time. But but Sterling Holloway has just got this this absolutely adorable voice. And, you know, Disney fans are saying, where I know that. What else? Well, he was Ka in the Jungle Book. And uh, he had a small he did some narration um he was the stork in dumbo um as i'm flipping pages here i'm a treasure treasure cat too right yes thank you thank you i knew there's one more i was missing out so um thank you he he is he was a delight to write about um paul freeze is my other favorite we know him as the ghost host uh i found on youtube a an audio compilation of the outtakes of that they were doing for that. Uh, it was all, you know, not a video, but just an audio only. And you can hear someone in the control booth. Okay, let's, let's, because they're measuring how many seconds they need for him to say, you know, mind your, you know, I'm your ghost host, et cetera. And they're giving him feedback on inflections and, you know, what to stress, what, what to slow down. So it's, if, if anyone wants to, uh, hear Paul Freeze in action. Um that's that was a treasure. Uh he also did Donald Duck in Math Magic Land, I believe. Yes. And he was the voice of, of um Scrooge McDuck. Wasn't he Ludwig von Drake too? That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Pardon pardon my uh Ludwig von Drake, yes, the uh, the mighty uh, European mallard who uh who is smarter than everyone yeah Ludwig van Drake and yeah I tend to slip into voices when I talk about characters and I'm not a great uh, impersonator so my apologies to your audience um so the first book I wrote I called it intentionally volume one because that means volume two is around the corner yep. um but this one I have written about yeah. I actually should have uh did a head count before I before I um started the show, but uh, there's a there's a glossary in the back of of the legends to date and uh, who I've written about. Yeah, they're they're bolded. So this has been a real exercise in using your research chops. Uh, there's a lot of great resources, and you really need to and have also you learn what sources you can trust and not trust uh, when you're, you're doing historical research. Uh, I, I know that as in, from my college degree um, there I've, I've become, I've joined or become familiar with other members of the Disney historians community as a side benefit. Um, uh, we lost one of our, our, one of the giants in the industry, Jim Corcus, 
passed away last year from cancer. But he is a prolific writer and columnist. A lot of his uh, material exists out on, on the web. He actually, for a long time, wrote under uh, a pseudonym of Wade Sampson. Mm. So if you see any Disney columns said Wade Sampson, Jim Corcus. Uh, he, um, and I had, uh, I met him once in person and I had a, a long correspondence history with him when I was writing my first book and he was very candid with, you know, okay, vet your sources, make sure you, you do appropriations correctly. Um, so he, I, it's a loss because he was very valuable, but, uh, in a similar vein, I've gotten to know Didier Gaze, who is a prolific writer. Uh, in fact, he wrote my foreword mm -hmm. very kindly. Um, I don't know how he has the energy, but he's he does a lot of writing. Oh, for um, sure. I live. I'm I'm an, an early retiree. I'm medically retired, but I'm still able to get up and do things. So he asked for volunteers in the D.C. area who would be able to do uh, some quote-unquote, field research at the uh, National Archives. Uh, not the one that uh, Nicolas Cage broke into, but the uh, they have a, a secondary facility in, in suburban Maryland, and they have tons of material there. So he was looking for material related to the South American Goodwill Tour mm -hmm. because this was a government-sponsored trip. Any documentation would be kept at the archives. It's, the tricky part is knowing which box to request um and you know he he's it's like looking for a needle in a haystack i i don't know what he wants so i'm i have my scanner with me my photo my camera but it's exciting because as you know a member of the disney fan community i am touching documents that are over 60 year, years old um original parchment paper some of them are like you can tell the they had they were typed with like multiple uh, mimeograph pages in between because the, the the text is barely readable on some of them. But there were a few nuggets. I found some documents signed, wet wet signature with by Walt and by Roy. Mm -hmm. And so just holding those just for a few moments was a, was a transcendent moment for me for personally. Uh, very, very similar to going to the Disney 100 exhibit. Uh, I went to that when it was in Philadelphia. Um, oh, great. They had a lot of, I, I spoke earlier, Mark Davis, and they had a lot of his sketches and um, a lot of the original um, Disney uh, Corporation ephemera uh, framed. And some of them said, these are reproductions, but you can't tell. They look very spot on. Um, so that is my, my recap of Disney Legends. Uh, uh, I will, it's available on Amazon in both... Uh, print format and kindle as well um a quick note i did the cover photo i did an adventures by disney trip a couple of years ago oh fantastic it was their it was their uh behind the magic tour it started in san francisco no no sorry our trip started in san francisco the whole trip this trip was all in la uh we got to see um what what was well the chinese theater it's no longer the Grauman's. there's a different sponsorship uh, we saw Walt's signature, you know, the, the the Walk of Fame, and his name there, and we got to see uh, a special um, presentation within the theater just for our group. 
Um, we got to see the uh, the carousel that uh, at um, oh the park Griffith in Park. Griffith, Griffith Park, yeah, uh, that that inspired uh, served as the inspiration. Uh, when we were in San Francisco, we also my wife and I went to the uh, Walt Disney Family Museum. I recommend that for anyone, uh, any Disney historian or or deep fan, you learn more about the history of, of Walt himself. Um, but we did get to see the backstage magic. Well, I derailed my train of thought. Um, uh, the Disney Legends Plaza? Uh, yes, yes. That's on campus. That used to be what, you know, at Burbank, they used to have a back lot. Uh, that has been changed because they don't do filming anymore. But the Disney Legends Plaza, which has the, the seven dwarves on the facade, and they have a, a full-size recreation of the Disney Legend Award itself. Um, so I took a photo of this, and that's the cover photo of the book. Um, the plaza itself is serves as a courtyard with uh, trellises, and each legend... Um, if, if living does a handprint right. in wet cement and uh here's a bonus um i'm i'm in several uh facebook related historian groups or disney history groups and i'm naturally advertising my book well i get a comment from from a user who says i um i need to to order this book was exitensio featured turns out he was uh xavier extensio uh, who pivoted from animation to wed as a as a songwriter? Uh, he did Yo Ho and um, uh, as 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 it's famously known. And um, turns out that the person inquiring is his granddaughter, is his daughter. And I'm like, wow, okay. So um, I replied, yes, it's him. Then I did a private message. He goes, yeah, he was my dad. I'm, I love it that you wrote about him. My granddaughter works at at WDI, huh. uh, so she passes by his handprints every day. This is just, you know, a, a magical moment of serendipity here. So, I sent her a signed copy uh, for her daughter, um, uh, and uh, she herself, uh, Judith Atencio, um, she bought her own copy, and uh, she sent me a picture of her in front of. Um, his 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 plaque on the Disney Plaza, and so I've got that um, featured on my on my website. So I'll I'll plug that later. But that is one of those aha moments that came out from this. So I'm I'm tickled that uh, it resonates with those who who know know the individuals. And um... so Jamie, it makes me wonder, given that you you had. Uh, a lot of content to draw from over the years, the columns that you had written about Disney legends. Like what is your approach in terms of being able to distill in many cases, decades worth of work into something relatively tight. You talked about the word count on, you know, with the articles, but you know, you, you have a responsibility in, in being able to package it all into something that's very consumable. And often for, for readers uh, or listeners, readers who, may not have much context on these individuals to begin with. How do you approach that? Precisely. Those are all salient points. So when I start my opening paragraph, I have two objectives in mind. One, I don't know if I have a first-time reader of this column. Somebody new has subscribed 
and they don't know the backlog of of articles. So I kind of try to lay out um, the aspect of the company that this individual has has supported, and then I also uh, try to talk about a bio of them. I try to keep biographies short, like born and here, but anything that is is related to their discipline, I will include. So the opening uh, opening paragraph I tend to do is is to some readers it'll seem redundant, uh, especially as as they go through all these articles. I I I scan through and I'm like I talk about wet industries and in like half of these should I just like edit it and just have it as one entry? No, I I, I want it to be kind of as they appeared, um, and I, I made a note on each one that you know this article was originally published in. Uh, well, maybe I, I'm not sure if I did that, but I in my in my notes as I was compiling the book, I said original publication date. Um, so each one, I, I try to capture as many facts about the individuals, as many quotes uh, the individual made or individuals that Walt made to this person, if they're available, or their peers made. Uh, I, I really like to give uh, some depth and flavor to the, to the individual I'm writing about. Um, Floyd Norman was a joy to write about. Uh, and he has his own autobiography on on DVD, um, an artist life, I believe it's called. So I watched that many times. I've reached out to him, haven't been able to to connect, but hey, you know that's that's understandable. Um, but he was a joy to write to write about because you're hearing from this person's own own mouth. This is what it was like the first time I met, I met Walt Disney in 1960 three or four when he joined the company uh, and he, how scared he was. He, he was elevated to a, a show writer, a story writer. So he was in a lot of meetings with Walt and he kind of, he, he jokes that he tend to hide in the corner lest he get uh, called out. But um, it's always fun to find these, these, these anecdotes. Um, I don't think it's in this book, but I wrote about Harper Goff. Mm. Um, two things. Uh, I'll quickly share one. Uh, he he grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, and when they did Disneyland, the common and you know the, the accurate story is that Main Street USA was patterned after Marceline, Kansas, Marceline, Missouri, where Walt spent a very formative part of his childhood. That that is true. However, Harper Goff was the Imagineer tasked with designing that. And he grew up in a similar small town in Fort Collins. And he's, he kind of baked some of his own nostalgia and memories into main street. Um, so that uh, I wrote about that. The other fascinating element is that Harper Goff designed the Nautilus for the, the film 20,000 leagues under the sea. And he, I, I found a transcribed interview and he described in delicious detail of what his intentions were. He wanted the rivets all over this uh, craft because it wanted to be like scales. He wanted it to be the ridges on the top were, were very deliberate to represent uh, shark fins. Um, the design was specific and he went in, you know, it's kind of a steampunk era look, uh, which had a lot of brass and rivets, but he described how he wanted it to appear. And so in his own words, I 
was able to add that to uh, my article on, on Harper Goff. So um, hope that it answered your questions uh, about how I go about. Um, I just, like I said, I my, my lead paragraph is a discussion about if it's an animator, I'll talk about the animation history. If it's an Imagineer, I'll talk about the the uh, the, the importance of of Imagineering and, and park development, voice artists, even executives. Like you know, I, I recently wrote about um, well, in this book, I have Joe Potter and Joe Fowler. I, I nicknamed them the mighty the mighty Joes. Uh, they each were instrumental in Disneyland and Disney World development. Um, so it's like well. How do I categorize these? I think I, oh. I label, I label them in the, uh, in the chapter on um, executives, for sure. So, um, and uh, you said I, I nine. Everyone knows about the nine old men. What's, what's curious, and I will talk about this in my other book. Is like, well, the phrase nine old men. That's that's a common trope in American history. And uh, for Walt, it was his nine key animation animator, uh, key character animators. And I think the phrase was coined in the 50s. Um, but it harkens back to the FDR first term where his or or into his second term where a lot of his his um, programs he, he created to help get out of the Depression were being challenged in the courts. And uh Supreme Court, nine justices. Um, there was a book published at the time, a less than uh, popular take on the Supreme Court, and it was titled The Nine Old Men. Uh, I, I think the average age of them wasn't terribly old, but um, and at the time, so that phrase stuck around, but it was developed in the in the mid to late 30s, and then Walt is using it in the later in the 50s. So I, there's no direct correlation. I just think it's a common name uh easy to to roll off the tongue yeah. uh so when you hear disney fans talk about the nine old men um they're talking you know ward kimball uh willie reitherman eric larson um the the, the uh the two writers who put together um the uh, illusion of life um frank and uh, frank, frank thomas Palmer. ollie johnston yeah so these you know these are the revered individuals i've like i said i think i've got one or two i still need to write about um there's so i yeah there's more and with 304 uh named legends and i i've kind of just scratched the surface um, so it makes me wonder jamie like what do you consider to be worthy contributions of being named as a disney legend it's evolved over time in terms of the it, it's people, so yeah yeah that's that's uh that's um that's an interesting question because part of it I, is for career individuals. Tony Baxter, um, you look at him. Uh, Joe Rody has retired. It's just a matter of time before he's named a legend. He had a 40-year career with Disney. Oh, sure. Starting with the development of Epcot and then on up to with the creation of Animal Kingdom and Aulani. Um, some of the legends, in my opinion were kind of lumped in because of circumstance. Um, they During one of the D23 Expos, all of the uh, voice artists of the uh, the official Disney princesses were named legends. And so um, 
some of them who who may have done just done one or two voice artists were were named a legend because of that grouping um nothing against their work but uh it, it's not like a lifetime achievement it was a for for just a you know a particular uh film or 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 spinoff i also know that this last round because of covid they had to postpone the d23 expo so there were 14 named uh the uh, the last time around and several of them were for for television shows again these are long-standing abc shows abc is owned by disney i think it was more marketing driven than uh true uh disney legends in the original context that's my opinion um, oh i have yeah. i have similar hot takes so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh there are some that that kind of get passed over um i was just watching today behind the scenes and um his name escapes me but the quote from horizons if you can dream it we, if we can dream it we can do it everyone tom fitzgerald yeah everyone misattributes that to walt no tom did that Tom is worthy of of uh, being named a Disney legend, and has not yet happened. So he, I look forward to that day, uh, given the body of his work. Um, that, yeah. Right now, I'm writing about Joe Grant, mm. who, who was an animator from the 1930s. He was sort of a bridge between, um, I guess if you look at Disney history in sections, there was pre. Snow White, when they were doing animated shorts, silly symphonies. Snow White beget the uh, the, the feature length, um, and then you, you move you pivot into live action because of all the uh, embargoed funds in England that were from the profits. They couldn't release them from England post war, so I said, "Okay, well, we'll we'll make some movies, and we'll we'll go to England. We'll hire a cast and crew there." That. That's how uh, Treasure Island came about. And then Walt's kind of long simmering passion of building parks. That's a new phase for the company. Television. Uh, Ward Kimball uh, did this wonderful Man in Space series. Um, so all these sections have different um, standouts. So Joe Grant was was part of the, the pre-Cinderella. Sorry, uh, pre-Snow White section. Right. And he, of course, stayed... And with the company, he left for a while and then came back. And he was actually a an animator up until he he was an animator during the the nineties Renaissance. Um, he he passed away at age ninety six, <laughs> and he was still animating. But um, so I'm learning some more. I've got some great facts and figures. I got some great quotes from Joe Grant and, and about him. Unfortunately, some won't make the cut. Um, but that is you know how i go about it and and my publisher kind of gives me carte blanche to to select who i write about i try to keep it personally i really like to honor the the ones from decades ago mm. i also understand the audience may want something more contemporary so i've written about jody benson um uh iron man uh the actor i should know him robert downey jr thank you that's yep. why you're here i need a real okay. time spot it's yep, only so 304 names. That's all good. Yeah. Yep. So he had, again, he's had a long and fascinating career outside of Disney and within. So that was a challenge to whittle it down. Um, 
So I, I get to pivot back and forth about who I pick. And um, it's it, the magazine is now quarterly. It used to be six issues a year. Now it's four, but the, each magazine is has more content. So um, it's uh, it gives me a, a wonderful opportunity to put on my research cap yeah. and uh, join my Disney historian colleagues because I found a number of resources through these channels. Um, uh, through 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 uh, histor historian peers, so it's it's all good. And I will um, mention that the other writers uh, for Celebrations Magazine, in their own right, have also published some books and done some deep research. So we all we we get together. I'm on that podcast. It's a biweekly podcast. Uh, we usually have a a topic we talk about, and it's a roundtable discussion. And uh, I can. Uh, I'll, I'll name drop that at the end, but, um, so Disney legends it's out, it's available. I will, it's on Amazon and Disney legends volume two will probably be a second half of 2024 project. Are you going to follow a similar structure in terms of, uh, how you highlight folks based on discipline or are you going to mix it up? And I will highlight, I will, I will organize the chapters by discipline, but the, the material will be items, articles that were published uh, like between 2012 and 2019 or, or so, or 29, no, no, 2016 to 2020. Um, but I will, I will certainly organize them in a cat in a categorically. Uh, so, so they make sense. Um, Very if cool. I could, I, I'd, I'd love to talk about, uh, my, my first book. Yeah, well, and I was and I was interested in that because we we're talking prior to the start of the show that you live in the Washington D.C. area and you your history background. So, yeah, if you could provide a little bit of context on on Disney's uh, in, being intertwined with American history, it, it really is. Um, so, this book is called "Walt Goes to Washington: Finding Disney in D.C." In D.C., um, this has been a long simmering topic in my mind because so i wasn't sure well can i write an article about this there's too much content really for an article do i do a series of blogs yeah but then you know they kind of get lost in the uh in the uh on the internet but if i kind of sit down and write a book that's a little more a little more um concrete so i have been judiciously judiciously taking notes over the years of all the connections. I finally sat down. And so I will real quickly just go over the highlights. Um, the American presidents are high. Uh, every, since Disneyland opened, nearly every president has been in a Disney park, either as president or out of office or pre-president. And I, I add those caveats because Senator John Kennedy visited Disneyland and um, former president uh, Dwight Eisenhower visited Disneyland right. when they when he's out of office. Um, this tradition has continued through uh, some of them are, are more prominent than others. Uh, Ronald Reagan, both as governor of California, um, visited a lot. Uh, Richard Nixon um, as a congressman and later as vice president under eisenhower and president i have a lot of disney history uh walt uh ronald reagan and and um and nixon kind of share similar ideologies they're all from southern california so it makes sense that uh 
there would be that that broad intersection. And uh, fun fact, as I like to throw out, um, everyone is familiar with the uh, Nixon's infamous quote, I am not a crook. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, obviously that was an answer to a, a question about his uh, financial ethics, about a book he had written, because he served as vice president he was out of office and then he ran for president. So in the, the time in between, he served as a private citizen, as a lawyer. He did, uh, he wrote some, a book and there was a question about the profits or how he was dealing with that. And so he gave a long-winded answer about um, that in the very end of the line was, you implied I'm a, I'm a crook. You implied I'm not, you know, I'm being deceitful. He blurts out, I am not a crook. Now, this was... So here's the context. This was in the AP Associated Press uh, convention for a live Q&A with the president. Uh, it was all unscripted, so he didn't know the questions in advance. And it was held at the Contemporary Resort, um, uh, not ballroom, but their, their, their convention center yeah. at the time. So everyone knows that line, but the uh, to connect the dots to Disney... Uh, Nixon has a lot of connections going back to what I mentioned with Bob Gurr in 1959, uh, all the way to that infamous moment uh, in 1974. So I, I, I document about all the presidents who have interacted. Um, Jimmy Carter is the only president who has uh, done a morning run through the parks. Uh, he, he precedes uh, the run Disney program. <laughs> uh, they should have a medal of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then Vice President Biden uh, visited Disney World. Um, as president, he has not been there. Uh, Trump was scheduled to to visit a Disney resort for a fundraiser, but pivoted at the last minute. So he, I think, is the only president since the 50s who has not physically been affiliated with uh, Disney parks and resorts. Um and then the Hall of Presidents, of course. Everybody. Of course, yes, yes. The <laughs> those the uh, the should obviously mention that. Um, President Clinton, I kept reading the same when I'm doing research. I keep finding the same answers over and over again. You know, President Clinton visited uh, Walt Disney World. I'm like, okay, where, when, what context? And it wasn't until I. I use the archives because they maintain all the presidential library museums um, that you can access the, um, the, the daily presidential travel itinerary. Sure. And so, and I, I, um, I got a subscription to newspapers.com. I'm reading the Orlando Sentinel. I'm plugging in the dates, Clinton, Disney. And I finally stumbled across an article and I corroborated it with the, uh, the contents from the, from his presidential uh, library, he visited what was then the Disney Institute uh -huh. in 1992. The exact dates. <laughs> he and uh, Vice President Al Gore did a, a blitz through Florida for a, a policy project they're promoting. And his last stop of the day was Orlando. He took by mo he went by motorcade to the what was then the Disney. Uh, Institute now Saratoga Springs Resort. Ten thirty checks into his room, 
8 a.m. the next day, his motorcade leaves and takes him to the Orlando Convention Center for uh, an unrelated topic. So, yes, he has been on Disney property only to get a good night's sleep. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it kind of burst my bubble. I had hoped that there would be like uh, some fun stories or interesting stories, but nope. Straight to bed, out. You know, he wasn't. He was not even on property twelve hours. So, uh, other chapters, I talk about um, how Disney was involved with the war effort. Um, what we know is the DOD today didn't really exist until 1947. So he had the uh, the War Department, which is the Army, uh, the Navy Department, um, self-explanatory, and so a lot of Disney employees were hired away or served their country. Um, the, the Burbank studio was, was temporarily taken over because there's a, uh, a Northrop, no, uh, yeah, there was a nearby, uh, airplane manufacturing plant that had to be protected. Uh, I, Northrop Grumman is jumping to my mind, but I'm, I'm, I have to reread that. Uh, so in, and Disney also did a lot of training films for the war, uh, like how to spot, enemy aircraft based on the wings and the fuselage and several Disney employees were given cleared access. Um, Herb Ryman uh, talked about that, or maybe I know I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking um, John Hench discussed how some individuals had special name tags and had to go into locked rooms to do their animation work on just on war efforts. And so that. Uh, I have a whole chapter on that. There's some other great resources on the internet. Uh, I talk about Disney and the FBI and the intelligence community. And, you know, that kind of perks some ears up. Uh, Disney, uh, Walt has an, a file on him on the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover was known for kind of his paranoia. He had files on John Lennon and Muhammad Ali. Uh, so through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, Walt's file has been released. Uh, there are some redactions on it, but um, the, the fascinating story about how the Mickey Mouse Club, they had they wanted one of the teen kids to uh, pretend he was enrolling in the FBI Academy. So Disney writers scripted this, and the FBI said, no, we would never do this. This is not accurate. Um, and you can see there, there's some, there's some terse, uh, correspondence back and forth about, Hey, uh, you're not taking this seriously. We were supposed to have the real in our hands to review it. So, uh, it, it's fascinating how, um, how that went about. And so the intelligence community, the CIA is what we think of. And his predecessor was the ISS in a, um, that was a, an effort during the war. And some Disney uh, individuals were, were involved in both operations. Um, I'll let readers sink their teeth into that. But the real quick anecdote is that Walt learned his lesson from buying the property at Disneyland. You know, it was time for Project X, what would eventually, what he wanted to be Epcot, uh, the, the property in Florida. He knew he needed a lot of land more than he had in, in California. And he knew that if people knew he was shopping prices would skyrocket so he went through a middle agent through a uh got in touch with a a former uh cia lawyer and um he 
was the middle man. There's a local uh, um, attorney uh, in Orlando making the purchases, but the agent in question, Paul Helliwell, had part of his his uh, specialty at the agency was doing uh, false fronts, uh, companies that are that are just holding companies, and that's where we get the terms Ret Law Industries. Uh, I for industries like A Y E F O R E, uh, which is a, a play on words on Interstate Four, um, Bay Lake Properties. So these are these are shell companies that were helped to create, and this particular individual used his uh, CIA tradecraft to help uh, put that together. That that was fascinating. This is all unclassified information, uh, so it's easy to write about. Um, I, I've got a chapter on. The National Archives and the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of holdings that are available online. I, and the uh, Library of Congress puts together a, um, they have a lot of recordings of historical documents and films. Um, some of Disney content is there. And also the National Archives um, puts out, I'm sorry, the Library of Congress does an annual uh, list of films that are in the uh, National Treasury. And right. Every year, there's uh, some of the classic Disney films are in there, and um, each each year they list 25 films, I believe, and it's typically a Disney film or two that makes the cut. And now we're also in this kind of uncharted territory where where Disney Corporation owns Lucasfilm and Pixar. So when those films get added, you know, are they are they truly Disney films or they do we treat them as otherwise? But uh, oh. It's what it is. So yeah, uh, pack a lot of content into into your books, and I think provide some perspective on you know, various topics that we've maybe heard about a little bit or not at all. And I think that's um, that's really rewarding for a reader to be able to have that uh, additional knowledge in their in their back of their mind. Thank you, thank you. Um, I did a chapter on Disney and NASA. Uh, there's a lot there to to unpack. Disney and the Smithsonian Institution. They have, over the years, had exhibits of um, Disney material. For for Walt, for Disneyland's 50th, they presented to the Smithsonian some original artifacts, including uh, a, one of the original uh, Dumbo ride attraction cars mm -hmm. and uh, some tickets. Because before the the E ticket, A through E book ticket books, it was actually A through B. Uh, D and E came along as as ride attractions grew, but to ride on the um, on the steamship at, at Disneyland, you had to have a separate ticket, and so those are those were gifted to the Smithsonian. Um, and uh, one chapter I wrote about, and this is very relevant now. I wrote about patents, copyrights, and trademarks. Yeah, because that you know those 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 relative offices are all here in D.C. Um, and this was pre, uh, Steamboat Willie's decision, you know, January 1st, he, he joined the public domain. And so I had to do some, I wouldn't call it speculation, but I had to do some nuanced, um, guidance. So I'm reading these law journals and law opinions on how it's going to unfold because Disney had pushed for copyright extension that was, um, nicknamed the Mickey Mouse Protection Act because <laughs> Disney was the main party pushing for the passage. And I, I think they realized, the corporation realized it's, we've 
it's not we're, we're it's an uphill battle to try to push this further that's my my take on it so steamboat willie as we know him in his appearance is now in the public domain uh i think the I, they still intend to protect him with trademarks you can't do his voice um and so actually that's the other thing when i when the first of the year of one of these facebook groups kind of somebody was very very knowledgeable kind of broke it down like what does this mean what can individuals do what cannot individuals do and it fascinating take and as the years progress different iterations of mickey when he when he gets his gloves when he gets his uh his pie eyes those will slowly enter the the public domain i should also mention that uh the aa milne characters from winnie the pooh are now in the public domain i haven't followed that as closely um the last thing i i, I want to talk about in this book since i live in dc uh pre-internet days you got your news uh, from the newspaper, radio, or television. And we had a subscription to the, uh, the Washington Post newspaper. My wife and I were in an apartment. I pull out the paper. I look at the front headline. It says, Disney announces plans to build a park in Northern Virginia. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so this was uh, midway through the Eisner era. Um, they were going to do a park called Disney's America. They were inspired by a trip to Colonial Williamsburg, which recreates uh, the, the colonial setting. It's it's a southern uh, city in Virginia. I know it well because every fourth grade class does a field trip down there. They need parent chaperones. So I, I've done my share of those. And so I wrote this article largely from newspaper clippings, national and local to really get the flavor of the back and forth at the time. Because I remember seeing cars, you know, there's an anti, uh, a NIMBY, um, not in my backyard a, a crowd that didn't want a big congestion uh, monster. You know, it would be, it would be about 30 miles West of Washington, DC. And there's a major interstate I 66 that goes East West. It's mostly for commuting. And bumper stickers were created that says uh, I-66, Disney's new parking lot. <laughs> and um, that was the, the anti-crowd. Of course, there was a, the, the local county and the town were consulted, and they were both eager for the business development. It was a very unique occasion. Virginia has uh, governorship elections are in an off year. And, and by state law, each governor can only serve, serve one term. So the outgoing, the, the newly elected governor who had not taken office was a Republican. The sitting governor was a Democrat about to go outgoing. They were both fully behind the project. And ironically, the governor who won the election but had not taken office to celebrate, he was in Disney, Disney World when he got the phone call that, hey, just want to get, let you know, um, Disney has a big announcement and involves Haymarket, Virginia just outside of DC, uh, Disney had to to release it because the news, because the Wall Street Journal was had done some sniffing around. They knew somebody was buying or renting or leasing property, much like Emily Bavard did for the Orlando Sentinel when she, when she revealed that, okay, we say it's Disney when it came time to talk about who's buying all the property. So Disney had to, wouldn't say premature, 
prematurely, but they had to announce the uh, Disney America park plans. And right out of the gate, the public opinion was not on their side. They weren't fully prepared. So it, I will save it for uh, your all, your listeners and readers. I've got a very detailed chapter on it. It was a, it was a blast. I lived through it all. I remember mm-hmm. it uh, the, with Eisner realizing it was not a fight worth fighting, uh, pulling the plug. So this book, uh, uh, as we, we talked about offline, I wrote during COVID. I had, like I said, when I finally decided I'm going to write a book, um, I got a publisher lined up, uh, Theme Park Press. They do a lot of uh, Disney-related content. And I pitched the idea, and he goes, you know, great idea. A lot of these materials have already been covered because I talk about the uh, South America Goodwill Tour. However, they've not been packaged from this optics of the, you know, the nation's capital. So he gave me a green light, gave me three months and uh, a minimal word count. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I better get writing. So um, he was very easy to work with. He gave me an extension because I, I just wasn't coming together as fast as I wanted it to. But I'm very proud of the finished product. It's, uh, you know, 200 plus. Well, let me see here. Yeah. Including footnotes it's about 270 pages and um most of the content is evergreen with the exception of my discussion on copyrights and i i may update the chapter for a an updated edition we'll see if i uh i have enough time on my plate because i still have a few other book ideas simmering around in my brain and uh i have to make the decision to either just put the, the gas pedal down and get going on these or just park them and put them on the shelf. Um, well, we'll look forward to further learning from you, Jamie, and I appreciate thank you. further perspective on the fascinating uh, links between Disney and Washington, D.C. So at this point, I'd like to turn it over to asking you some quick opinion-related questions, and then we'll conclude with you telling our listeners how to pick up copies of your books. How about that? Great. Fire okay. away. Well, we have three music-related questions to start off. Uh, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Oh, soundtrack most growing up. This is an odd answer, but I know that I think this was published by Disney, uh, the recordings, but they had a, a voiceless soundtrack of a haunted house. Mm, yes. And every year in art class in middle school elementary school they would play this <laughs> around halloween and that you know you just hear the ghosts and the howls that uh would i would say that that would be my first embedded memory um i do know that i got the soundtrack to um fantasia mm. on cd so back when that was in its heyday sure. so that sticks out with me and yeah. um, I, I'll be candid, the Mary Poppins soundtrack. Uh, um, so now in the new era of, you know, do you stream it? Do you buy a digital copy? Do you have a physical copy? Of course, do you have a CD player still? Do you have a cassette deck? <laughs> um, yeah, I say, so I will go back and I'll stick by my original answer, the Haunted Mansion soundtrack, mm-hmm. as, as esoteric as that was, and then the Fantasia soundtrack. I would listen to that. I've listened to that more than I've seen the film. (laughs) 
Oh, I, and I'm familiar with the Haunted House soundtrack. I've I've come across that even in um, record stores, I think. Yeah. Uh, what, what what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oh, gosh. Um, Whatever first comes to mind. So the one that first got stuck in my head, there's... Most recently. I, oh, most recently. So I, I will say that the one I listen to over and over again, it's not a song, but it's a soundtrack. It's from Finding Nemo. Hmm. Um, the the composer is um, Randy Thomas Newman, who's who's Randy Newman's cousin. Uh, he's got his own unique style, and it's the uh, opening sequence. It's only sixty seconds long, hmm. but it's right at the beginning um, after the you know the, the Barracuda scene, and it's just this melts your heart piano soliloquy oh. as the camera pans up to the, the sun. Um, wordless but um it uh it, it resonates and i will say from uh the mary poppins sequel um or the second the follow-up the, the lin-manuel song um every story's got a book every story is not a book um covers not the book yes yes thank you that that's an earworm that 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 pop that I will find myself humming. I don't know the, the lyrics memorized, but I will find that uh, buzzing through my head. Um, so those, yeah, those are more contemporary. Um, you know, I know that uh, it's it's not talked about. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about Bruno, but uh, the the film um, Song of the South is is sort of a persona non grata within the Disney corporation, but zippity doodah is oh. one of those earworms that, that sticks with you. I remember that from my childhood a lot. Um, the Sherman brothers, uh, unbelievably prolific with the amount of work they did. Um, we were just watching um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. the other day. Actually, it was the Dick Van Dyke special, his right. 90th birthday. And um, I said, I'm pretty sure the Sherman brothers wrote for that and so of course i had to look it up and yes they did so uh I, I think those two are fascinating i they have a great um slightly pivoting of course but there, there's a great documentary oh yes on on the them um the boys yes thank you um so i i've written about richard but not yet robert there you go. um okay. yeah all right what else we have what disney film do you feel has the most underrated music so if you could only pick one film that has underrated music or most underrated. Um, I am a huge fan of Michael Giacchino as a composer. I realize he's more affiliated with Pixar, but the score from um, Inside Out. Hmm. It's just the first time I saw it, I didn't walk away with the uh, a sense, strong sense of the music. And I listened to another podcast, a Pixar podcast, and they they raved about the score. I'm like, huh? So I I downloaded the soundtrack again. Like, oh, this is really. Yeah. It ties in beautifully with the, uh, the the themes and the the scenery and the settings from that from the film Inside Out. So I will go with that. And that's an earworm too, with its theme. Da, da, yeah, da, 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 da. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and they even jokingly have an in in play earworm about the chewing gum that you can bite. At which uh, is, I would be saying it right now, but I can't remember it. So that's probably a good thing. <laughs> a couple uh, of book questions for you. What is the most recent Disney book that you've read? Um, I have picked up 
and started, I, I tend to start several at the same time. I've, I, I recently bought the Michael Eisner and um, Bob Iger biographies or autobiographies. So I have both, I'm reading both in tandem. Yeah. Um, I have the, the Disney 100 uh, parks book, um, the glorious coffee table book. And uh, I also have a um, book I, I, on the history of the haunted mansion on my nightstand. Again, I've started it. Uh, the fact that I can't recall its title should be telling. Um, but all is, you know, uh, all is my bookshelf is, is full of stuff. Um, <laughs> as my wife and I were trying to downsize, but my, my books are off limits. <laughs> um, and, uh, there's always more that I want to get. I, I, I read Werner White, uh, Weiss's, um, Yesterland website and each, each year he, he publishes right. a list of recommended books. I'm like, Oh, I want to get that. I want to get that. I want to get that. Oh, so, yeah. um, yeah, uh, there, there's there's a lot on my on my reading list on my nightstand that needs to be digested. Fair enough. So, if you could write another Disney book on any topic, uh, what would it be? Or are you going to keep those close to the vest, given so, that you ideas in mind? I I won't reveal the I won't share the, the specifics, but I want to write about how Disney Corporation has pivoted almost exclusively to ip based attractions okay uh you look at the 60s the heyday with like the jungle cruise haunted mansion pirates these were all in-house created attractions with backstories and disney has understandably uh tapped into existing uh intellectual properties including their own you know all of fantasy land is is based in disneyland it's based on disney films um uh, Star Wars, uh, Pixar, Lucasfilm, uh, Indiana Jones. So the, it's understandable to to borrow existing uh, content, but I think, in my opinion, Disney unfortunately has moved away, maybe permanently, from creating original attractions. And that's sort of what I want to write about. Fair enough. I think it's a worthy topic. There's, yeah, the very few examples in the past decade, maybe Mystic Manor and a few others. Yeah, uh, yeah. In international parks, not as much domestic. Right. And and that's the key difference is that it's international goes by a different uh, yeah. uh, workflow because the, the Asian parks are owned and operated by a third party. They just pay licensing fees to Disney and they... They have the funds. They say, we want something really out of the box, really big. And Imagineers go, okay, what's your budget? And that's how they get Disney Sea in Tokyo and Mystic Manor. So it's fair or not, uh, you know, different operating structure. So I my focus is on domestic parks. Cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll be eager like to learn more. Yep. Yep. That's something that's just noodling around and maybe uh, as, as a, spring rolls into summer i'll have have an outline and some a project mid mid project hopefully so okay that uh and um both of my books let me let me plug it i have I one have question a... hang on yes one more. one more one more question for you go go right ahead this is a random one so connected back to what we we're talking about earlier um name an individual who has yet to be bestowed with the disney legend award who should be honored accordingly joe roadie okay Quick, I quick and dirty. 
Yep. He, uh, his, his, I know he's only a recent retiree and I don't know the vetting process. Roy E. Disney used to be the chair of the committee that's selected and, and he has since passed away. So I think it's, I'm sure the, the archives, uh, Becky Klein, I'm sure she has a say. Uh, I, I think it may be more of the marketing team that has input, but yeah. uh, he should make the cut. Uh, hopefully in when they announce the next D23 Expo. Um, yeah. There's my quick answer. And that would be very fitting because of the opening of Lighthouse Point, um, the new yes. island, which ha obviously has his um, influence. His, so. Yep, his footprints. Yeah, fingerprints. He did... Uh, you know, he he did the makeover of uh, Tower of Terror at Disney or Disney California Adventure sure. in, into the uh, Tower or the Guardians um, Mission attraction. Breakout. Mission yeah. Breakout. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, Aulani, um, Pandora, uh, all of Animal Kingdom. Um, so he's he's got a he. It's funny because he's a, a a designer second, more of like a a. His first hand, he's he's practically an anthropology professor. He he looks behind the scenes. He wants to know the the whys and connections, and then he helps design a park that can accommodate that. Well, okay, now that you've got an idea, you have to be practical. Sidewalk lengths, uh, queues, uh, budget cost overrun. So, uh, hearing him speak, there's plenty of videos on on YouTube, uh, particularly a speech he gave on the 10th anniversary of animal kingdom he talks about the the development of the park and the trials and tribulations so yeah he's my without a doubt he's the one i want to see named in the next round me too all right so finally how can listeners follow your work and pick up copies of your books yeah so i will have individuals go out to my website jamiehecherwriter.com all one word and i have a uh, Amazon links to both, both of my books um, there, as well as some articles I've um, published in the past for Celebrations Magazine. Uh, celebrations can be found at celebrationspress.com. Uh, we do a bi-weekly podcast recording, and you can uh, you can download episodes there. You can hear my melodious voice there and my occasional gaffes <laughs> and uh, take hot takes on things. And... Um, the theme park press website where I published my first book is undergoing a retool. So that will be out, I believe in early February, you can see my book on his website, but order it from Amazon. And I self published the Disney legends book. So um, you can just go out to uh, Amazon and search on my name or f click on the link on my website. And um, that's, that's how you, you can uh, read more. Thanks. And more. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate talking uh, today. This is wonderful. I love the chance to tell these stories. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. 
Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.